Hello and welcome to Off the Record. It's 2015 and this is our 35th episode and the first show of the year. It feels good to, to do one thing in one year and, and make it go on into a second and we hope to keep this going for a while. Uh, we, have, we have a few new things or maybe one new thing to start the year off. We really always love the feedback from you guys and I put together a little cool thing. So if anyone tweets hashtag ask OTR, uh, it'll make sure it goes right to us in a spreadsheet that we can work into the show. So go ahead and do that. Um, you can find anything about the show at offtherecord.fm and maybe rate us on iTunes if you've heard the show recently and are sticking with us and want to make us more popular because popularity is really just what keeps me going. I just want to tell people they can't sit with us when they come near us. Yeah. You know, Jesse, it really is a new year. I've started, I'm changing my life. I went into Urban Outfitters right at New Year's Eve and I bought myself uh, black jeans for the first time. Oh my God. Wait, wait. So you rang in New Year's Eve by shopping at Urban Outfitters? Well, I, I think it was like the 30th, but nonetheless, okay. this is, okay. this I, is th- I just want to make sure that no, no, uh, no, New Year's Eve night, that's not, you weren't like running around Lincoln Center and like hitting the Urban Outfitters. No, no. I was having some sushi and wine on New Year's Eve. It was nice. Uh, I watched that. Did you recommend me Black Mirror? Was that you? I, I did. I okay. Did. So you, your recommendations have been better than I would have imagined. I would deem you as someone who recommends me things and I would hate them all, but they've really panned out and I've appreciated it. You know what it is? High standards. High standards. I watched them all. I watched them all seven episodes and uh, I had to to stop watching one day because I was like, my life is over. Um, So I recommend Black Mirror to anyone. I mean, I'm such a hipster. I watched them all when they came out like two, three years ago. So moving on. So, yeah, I went into Urban. I, I, I mean, you know, I, the hipster, you know how the hipster joke goes about this. You know? I do, and that's why I went into Urban Outfitters. I wanted to buy a Lord record. Instead, I found a newfound glory record on the top shelf, and I got some uh, black jeans, and I got a button down. These are new things for oh me. Oh, my God. Wow. I, am, I am starting the year fresh. I know you're about to get really old. Like, we're moving right along. Oh, yeah, I get old in, like, a few days. Yeah, we're all buying just shots on his birthday. He, he demanded shots. shots. Um, that's not true. I want to throw one more compliment to Jesse in that he's become a great little, uh, I don't want to say elf little? as a elf as a demeaning word, but a nice little whisper. I think he helped me get a, a Christmas present from my, <laughs> from my Jewish mother. And, uh, yes. and everything is great. I got a new record player. I got a boom mic. For, and now I'm a professional. You're a professional podcaster. I'm a professional podcaster, and no one can mess with me. Nice. I wish I, I I wish I was doing all these big you know rejuvenating changes you're you're doing. All I've been doing is sitting around writing a proposal to save the music business. Oh, is that is that your new year goal to save the music industry? You know everybody's gonna see. I'm I'm gonna be the guy like put the Superman cape on. I'm saving the music business. That's what I'm working on right now. This is Jesse's goal for the new year. Yeah, I mean you you, you all laugh now, but when you're sitting there and you're t- tweeting at me how hashtag blessed you are from my work, I will you you. You, you just let me know, and you know the uh, the the bows toward you know, like you know how the Muslims bow bow towards uh, Becca. Like you know, you could all bow towards Williamsburg. Would I pull this off? I just want to say, uh, as always, our episodes come out on Wednesday now, but we are taping this on a Sunday night before I have a very busy week. And I woke up to an email at eight o'clock from Jesse, and it had the word hashtag blessed in the subject, and <laughs> everything is terrible. <laughs> Oh, man. 
All right. So why don't we get started on a real cheery subject, uh, which is um, dudes and bands being real creepy. Oh, wait. Do I get any New Year's goals? Oh, I thought you were saying them all about all your big changes. What are your, uh, what are your goals? Well, I mean, besides, besides I, looking. I actually didn't talk about you my did. goal. You go, well, you go first. You go first. Okay. Well, my only other goal is to also get this book out that I've been writing. So that makes it nice easy. Okay, so Jesse's gonna when we're when we're back here a year from now, Jesse's gonna have a new book, and the music industry will be safe. It might take more than a year to save it, but I'm gonna start saving it this okay. year. Okay, save rock and roll, Jesse. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I'll let rock and roll burn. You know me and the bad dance music. My New Year's goals. <laughs> I don't know if I have specific goals, but I know right now, even though we're taping this a day before the launch of the new site, the new site will be launched right now when you are listening to this at propertiesact.com. I hope that goes successfully. I hope I hope at this point there's more than $5 in the Patreon fund. I hope that this new podcast I started called Simpler Sound has more than two listeners. I hope I hope all the good things I'm putting out there go well. Those are my goals, I suppose. And in general, I'm I'm hoping that this year I am freer in my mind. Like I don't I don't say to myself this is what needs to happen and then build everything around that instead of I hope I'm less stubborn about things. How about that? It's good to be free, Jesse. Uh, it is good to be free. Yeah. I agree with you. You know, the first song I heard at midnight on New Year's was Freedom from George Michael. And I said, hell yeah, man. Who's that? Yeah, I'm not shocked. That that, that, that doesn't even phase me anymore when I say obscure artists from the 90s and the late 80s. Is that obscure or is that like someone that's like a... I, like actually, a, he was a really huge artist. And he, here's how you'll know him. You know Jimmy World Last Christmas? Yes. His old band popularized that song. Oh, yeah. This old band was called Wham. Wham. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a great band name? I love that. Like what? Like with an H and a... And yeah, a... Like even with an exclamation point, the whole deal. Wow. I like that. No, I mean, the, all the good band names, they were around back then, you know, and so it's all downhill from here. That's why you have bands named like Front Porch Step. <laughs> what a great transition point. Jeez. Oh, we are we're very professional in the new year, <laughs> and we know how to do transitions. So, uh, yeah, to start the show off, very fresh and recent uh, happenings, I guess. Um, Over the past week, while we took a week off, um, an artist called Front Porch Step on Pure Noise Records um, had allegations, and everything I say has uh, the word allegations before it stated, had allegations come against him via a change.org petition that, as of taping, now has over 12,000 signatures. Um, (sighs) And that petition essentially states, allegedly... Can we also say 12,000 petitions, uh, signatures for this? It's a lot of signatures. It's a lot, yeah, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, so the the allegations essentially state that Jake, the, the front man, it's a solo project. The guy, in his moniker, um, he has been interacting with underage girls, and we don't know any more or any less in there. So I think that's kind of fair enough for us to stop going down that route, but instead talk about things around it. Um, I think what's like one, one thing that's just shocked me is that like Jesse was just saying, it has so many signatures. I, um, when I saw it go up it I'd had like under a hundred signatures and uh, Warp Tour was spelled wrong in the name. And I was like, this is clearly going nowhere, right? And then I went to bed, I woke up, and it had 400 signatures. And I was like, wow, this blew up. And then at the end of the day, it had like 4,000 signatures. And then I was like, wow, this is it. 
Did you? Were yeah, you, I got. Yeah. I woke up to twenty different emails because I'm the owner of that hellhole, the Defend Pop Punk group, and about people pinning the post or not being allowed to pin the post and getting it unpinned. And uh, so I did the smart thing, and what I did is I wrote to Zach Adebo that said, "How should I feel about this?" Because I didn't want to really actually do any research because I was in no mood. I was probably hungover. And and my response was essentially, this seems like something that is building and steam, but I'm not sure that it'll get anywhere because it's very rare, frankly, uh, right or wrong, that this stuff goes somewhere. And and it's and I will say that from New Year's Eve to January 4th, the situation went from non-existent to everything's over. And that's a course of five or six days. Um, so... As of this point, Front Porch Step has announced that all, he is taking a break from all touring in 2015 to reassess things on his life, in his life, and, and see where that all goes. So, so can we back, back up? Because what I think is interesting is I'm very aware of this controversy, but I decide not to research it because I'm doing, I'm trying to save the music business here. I mean, I got to do other things. What's the most damning evidence against him? The most damning evidence is sharing questionable f- photographs with allegedly underage girls. He's sending nudes, as the kids would say. Yes, that is the allegation. Okay. Then secondly, about how many people are we talking about that corroborate this information? Anywhere from a few up to 10 different individual uh, girls. So, so we're saying three to 10? Yes. Okay. That's a, I think that's a lot of corroboration to... We all know the internet can sometimes make a controversy out of nothing, but that seems like pretty substantial amount of people to come forward. I mean, that's like half what Bill Cosby got. <laughs> yeah, so I just... So uh, to, to further shed conflicts of interest, um, Front Porch Step was set to go on a spring tour, a, a headlining spring tour with Have Mercy, Alcoa, and Head North. Uh, I manage Have Mercy, and Head North is on my record label. Jesse just finished the masters for the EP. They sound great. Um, it's the sound of me blowing my nails. Yeah, he did good stuff. It's, it's weird to know that he's okay at his job. Oh, it took 15 years. Yeah. So, man, I was barely alive. The The story itself is, like, super upsetting for so many reasons. Um, everyone loses from the artists down to the, obviously, potential, allegedly victims to the bands involved, to the record labels, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But um, I thought it would maybe be interesting without getting into like truly finite details um, just about what that means for the other bands on the tour since since I'm involved in them. And instead of spending my last few days getting drunk like Jesse has been, I've, uh, I've been in the war room trying to figure life out for these bands when everything was supposed to be quiet uh, in, in preparation of this tour and it, it hasn't been. Um, so I don't know. How should we, how should we go about this? Do you have any questions or should I just, yeah, ramble? I mean, well, so front porch step was the headliner in this yeah, tour, right? Yeah, it was a headlining tour anywhere from and so 300 to 500. Pure Noise Records? Yeah, Pure That's Noise correct. Records. The tour was supposed to be 300 to 500 cap rooms. He spent the previous summer on Warped Tour's acoustic basement and he was the largest artist by far on the tour for them. And then he also was, the three of five on state champs and handguns is pure noise tour and did very, very well. Uh, he also sold 14,000 records of his debut album in the past year. So he's a big artist. Yeah. He's, he's doing very, very good. Why did you guys not think this was going to blow over and it was just going to keep getting worse and worse? Every, I think a lot of people that I was talking to thought it was going to blow over. Uh, especially when, like I said before, I, I clicked the change.org petition and Vance Warp Tour was spelled wrong. And yeah, 
there were 34 signatures and it's a digital thing. It's not like, it's hard to tell when these things are real, not the petition itself, but like, is a website like this really capable of doing something, et cetera, et cetera. And so it just, there's, there seem to be too many things to be like, this is just a few angry kids and whether their cause is right or not, I don't see how it can get anywhere, you know? Uh, and then, like I was saying, I woke up and I went to bed and there were 4,000 signatures. And at that moment, I knew the door had popped open. I get all that, and I totally agree. Now, here's one thing that I that so I have um, a Twitter feed where I follow. Yeah, I, I have two Twitter accounts. So there's one where I follow the nice people who talk to us on Twitter for our show, and then I have one where I really read news. The one where I talk to the nice people who say nice things about our show, I follow. I noticed that a lot of people seem to be silenced just because they hate this kid because he writes really misogynistic lyrics. Right. So there. So isn't some of this signature just I want to see this guy fail? Now I'm not saying what he did is right or wrong, but it did. I did seem to see a sentiment in my Twitter feed that this was people kind of doing a Reddit vote down of this guy's existence because right. so, they don't like so that's that like, he sings misogynistic right. crap. So, so that's a good that's a good way to frame it. I think there is on Tumblr, on Twitter, on the different pop punk group, there are an extraordinary amount of people that do not like him. Uh, one part because of his music, another part because of these allegations, like. There's a large group of people. When we say his music, we mean his misogynistic lyrics. Just as me, well, I, I, I don't. I don't I, actually don't haven't read the lyrics, so I shouldn't say that they're for sure misogynistic. But I know a lot of people I know deem them. I didn't do the research I've really, yet again. I've only listened to the album once. I, I can't really say anything there either way. At the end of the day, I know people don't like it. A lot of people don't like his music, and a lot of people do not like the allegation. And though, and I think it's fair to say that all those people signed the petition. And then beyond that, once the petition got an absolute punk and all press and property Zach, more people saw it and said, oh my gosh, this there's no way we can let this person on Warp Tour. There are a lot, because, again, because of the allegations, Warp Tour has so many young fans. We can't let this happen. And then more people sign the petition. Then my thing becomes this. is So then when I went on the Defend Pop Punk board, which I hate that I ever have to do, what it seemed to me was like that his defenders were all people who like his music. His detractors were all people who um, did not particularly love his music. And, but like, it seems like if they, if you, so many people are willing to defend his uh, bad behavior or supposed alleged bad behavior. Then it's like the same thing. So, you know, we should be clear. It's the bassist from a data rumor was accused of something similar. Is that correct? Uh, Josh Woodford, whichever one that is. I think he plays guitar. I don't know. Sure. Okay. Somebody from a data remembers, but accused of very similar things. And they didn't really have much happen to them. But I think there's a thing of two of that, you know, these people really want to like, you know, I'm not trying to defend him because if you write misogynistic lyrics, I don't really want you getting popular anyway. But I did find it a little gross how many of these people were kind of signing on to this just because they want to see this guy fail because they're like, I hate whiny acoustic rock or, you know, they just want to see this thing fail. So I'm curious that with that, was that a factor in you guys' decision? Sorry, how, like, how other people were viewing him? Yeah, I mean, just, like, it seemed like... I, if I had been in your situation, 
I would discount a good amount of those signatures because I feel like a lot of those signatures were just, I want to see this guy fail. Right. And and so I think the I know I, I can like not even my thoughts aside. I know that like the band's thoughts were and they said this as much in their own statement, have mercy on their Facebook and stuff was just that based on the allegations alone, strictly the allegations if they are potentially true, then we we don't feel comfortable associating ourselves with that with that music or with that individual. Um, and that was kind of the the short and long of it. That um, it didn't matter how many people were saying terrible things. If there were a thousand, if there were twenty thousand signatures, it mattered that suddenly there's this very strong possibility that this uh, individual had done these you know alleged things, and the band didn't want to involve themselves with that, and then have fans both who had and had not signed the petition say have mercy supports this or they're not against it and and not take a stance at all i I think that was kind of the band's largest concern uh i can understand why they'd be concerned i mean i guess also it was probably not good that allison weiss uh, right and and that that was another thing like you know stuff started like hitting the fan uh even before it uh, Jake, Jake, uh, the singer from Portstep, made his statement that he was suspending all touring actions. And uh, Alison Weiss had pulled from a UK tour featuring him, and she's an outspoken feminist. And, you know, Kevin Lyman had stated that he was going to be looking into the situation. Um, his picture had been removed and unremoved from the Warp Tour website. And beyond that, Jake Round from Pure Noise had removed, though he has not made a public statement, Pure Noise at this time of recording on uh, January 4th has not made a public statement, but he removed uh, from Porch Step from the roster on his website. So like all these things were starting to hit one after another and the band Have Mercy were just continuing to feel more concerned that um, they they wanted to make a decision on their own, not have someone else make a decision for them or, or not get pressured into a situation, if that makes sense. Who says hashtag activism doesn't work these days? Well, it's interesting. I think what I, like some, a comment that I wanted to make was that all of like it went, the situation went from zero to 60 in no time flat. You know, it was incredibly, it's a terrible situation for everyone. Like, like I said, just everyone. And like, I am tired right now. I, I, I spent, I've spent hours on the phone over the past few days screaming and getting screamed at. Like it's been a, wow. It was that, that bad that people were screaming at you. You gotta, you gotta think of it. There's this whole thing and now it's gone. Like it, it's a hard it was just a hard time. And, you know, think about the tour now. Have Mercy, Head North, Alcoa, all had scheduled this tour, and now it's up in the air. And um, the, to- the Were the tickets sold already on yeah, the tour? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Front Porch Step Tour had was going to have a full three months of selling and promotion before the first date. And now Have Mercy, we have to kind of flounder, frankly, to put together a headlining tour, and the band is not quite ready to headline. Um in a period of a month and a half and have only a month and a half to promote it and to sell for it. Mm. And it's hard. It's, it's really hard, especially when we, we, you know, we made commitments around this tour too, that we can't, can't quite talk about yet, but like a lot of things were based on this tour and we did this tour for specific reasons, just like any band does any tour and to have it not pulled, you know, to have it pulled under the rug, not, a month ago, but you know, the tour was supposed to start from the day of this podcast. When this podcast got released, the tour was supposed to start on February 17th. So it was going to be 40 days away. You know, it wasn't like this was 70 or 80 days away. It was very close. And it's a really hard situation. Not only that, it also happened over the like longest music industry holiday where everyone is shut down. Mm. So again, today's Sunday on Monday, our booking agent 
when everyone turns their computer back on and fires up their email with God knows how many unread emails, our booking agent needs to go and email 30 promoters to say, hey, uh, we got our tour canceled. We got to book a new one. What can you give us? You know, it's like the holds, the holds for tour spots, for dates are going to be inconvenient. It's all going to be very inconvenient, but we don't have another choice. And it, it sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, that sounds really, really not comfortable. And, you know, and it's that funny thing is that I think there's so many times that doing what your heart says is ethically right really comes at a price. But um, it's nice that you guys did do that because, I mean, I wouldn't want to help that guy be in, around young girls and I wouldn't want to make money off of that guy's presence either. Ultimately, have mercies, wishes, or desires had nothing to do with the final outcome of what occurred. Really? Like, like he, Front Porch Step announced all on his own that he was taking a whole break from 2015. That includes Warp Tour that was already announced. That includes other trips to the UK, etc. Like, we would have, the band would have most likely pulled from the tour on their own will, but, like, to be clear, I don't, like, know if anyone listening to this will care, but, like, Front Porch Step was going to be making that decision on his own, as far as I know. Um, especially after Allison Weiss had pulled from her tour and et cetera, you know? Are you familiar with the, the whole Iggy Azalea freestyle controversy? Um, or is that out of your scope? I of think, culture? I mean, I've seen like people tweeting about it. Like she said something somewhat racist and then she's had like a disease and now it's all better. Okay. Well, yeah. So let me give a quick rundown. Az- Azalea Banks, not to be confused with Iggy Azalea. Right, they have a similar spelling of the last and first name, but they're different humans. Yes. I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of uh, Miss Banks than I am Iggy. Okay, Iggy is um, that one with that song, Fancy? Yes, is that the, I do is like that, that song. The, is that the Tokyo song? Like, yeah, 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 God, that is. That, I hate that lyric, but anyway, go on. Okay. I, um, <laughs> I think it's a good song, talks, but I'm, I think it's a good song, but I'm like... Whatever what? doesn't float your boat, dog. All right, anyway, go on. So, so they have a little fight where she talks about how... Iggy Azalea, because everybody's mad that she's nominated for the Grammy Award and is probably going to win, that she doesn't support black culture and the whole Ferguson police brutality thing. But uh, she makes money off of hip-hop and black culture. So there's that, and then this video surfaced, and there's actually an old video, and I thought what was interesting is you had this theory about how things bubbled up because it was Christmas break and people were sitting around bored on the internet for things to bubble up. So this two-year-old video of her being so terrible at freestyling on Sway's show comes and everybody starts making fun of her, even though this is two years old. And then I think what was arguably like, you know, it's like the same thing that people had with like this whole interview thing when they're like, it's all a publicity stunt. This is not a publicity stunt, which is interesting. Is This is good tactics of a publicist making do with, you know, so much of music is, uh, or managing a band is, when life hand you lemons making lemonade and that's what you guys are going to do with this tour it's like what man overboard did with the leak of the record story that i've told a million times iggy azalea announced that she on new year's that she has tmj which is basically like a thing that's going to affect her jaw and her rapping and it kind of makes it toxic now that if you're going to make fun of her you're making fun of this poor diseased artist oh wait and it's freestyle so it has to do with like the jaw too potentially yeah Oh, yeah, so now if man. you make fun of it. And so I tweeted out, I was like, this is the most genius. I like, saw your tweet, when, but oh, God, I get it now. That's incredible. Yeah. So, like, this is the thing is, is that, like, 
I'm sure she actually has this. I bet you it's real, but that's a publicist oh, saying, yeah, totally. hey, we've been trying to hide this. This is the perfect time to say this, and this will bail you out of right. here. You're, we you're either like, it. Yeah, you're either hiding it or holding it in your back pocket. And this is like they're yeah. and, and when you put those two things together, nothing could work better. Wow. So so my thing is is like, you know, does this remember how bad Rihanna was kind of damaged after Chris Brown sadly did that disgusting stuff to her? Uh she came out and like she really said all the right things to regain the trust until, you know, she started dating him again. Don't you feel like this could be like this kid's this could kind of be this kid's phoenix rising of like he comes back a year from now he writes some sad songs about how wrong he was and how he's moved on and now he's dating like a cougar some girl my age or something and everything's appropriate and healthy and you know you have this weird come to jesus moment like what's fucked up about this is i feel like we live in this age where people love that story that you know it is the thing of that this is all a game of owning the story and i think it's just so sad like too of that like even though i don't want people like this around um children and everything and i you know like i listen to this kid's music it wasn't my thing like i'm not rooting for him but i do think it's sad like that's just like it's really who's winning this popularity contest in this war of pr yeah i i mean i wouldn't i have no idea what the plans are i highly doubt they've considered plans for like next year yet but or yeah, next year, 2016, but I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not surprised by anything. I'm not surprised that, you know, Attila are only getting bigger or that falling in reverse are falling in reverse. Like none of these things surprise me or, Hey, that, uh, Chris Brown is still a really huge artist. Like none of these things at this point surprise me anymore, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. Uh, it's just, God, I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, that, but the Azalea thing is, Crazy, like that publicist is getting a nice bonus. I mean, I would definitely be um, hiring that publicist. That was that was a pretty. She she, she gets the uh, real smart move of the week for sure. Right, and you can't like lie about. Like if that comes out ever as a lie, it's over. You know, so it's like yeah, that has to I be bet you real. It's not a lie. That's yeah, the, I agree. That's the making lemonade thing, and it's the same thing. Like that's the same thing as the man overboard thing. And there's always that thing of like. Whenever anything goes wrong and like in a couple of weeks, like we're going to talk about like the lemonade I had to make out of lemons in the last year. Um, and like, I think there's that thing of like, you got to always sit there and say, you know, there's some way for this to do it. Like, you know, this kid's going to have to take a year off. Maybe he comes back and writes the record of the of 2016 because he's got to be locked up in his room having some real emotions about what he did. Totally. Totally. Um, shall we move on? <laughs> yeah. So. Lots of interesting good news about the way music's going, huh? Yeah, you know, um, record sales, uh, album sales, CDs have exploded again. iTunes is selling more <laughs> tracks than ever. Spotify <laughs> wait, is wait, dead. Wait, wait, wait. Bob Lefsitz has Benjamin buttoned himself. <laughs> and uh, But Bob Lefsitz, actually, the problem with buttons is how many buttons down he goes on his shirts and when he pops his collar. That's um, a real problem. Not, Have you ever seen those nope, pictures? Nope, not thinking about it either. <laughs> um, oh wait, so should we should we talk old about men the pr- should <laughs> not pop collars? Let's just let's just go with that. And I'm calling old anyone older than me. Do, do I mean no one should really pop the collar? Hear that, dad? No men. popping your collar, dad. Don't pop the collar, dad. Yeah, I I agree. Your dad your dad pulls off the dad look pretty well, but you should do not pop the collar, dude. Okay, well now I'm scared. But especially that picture you, you took of him posing with the yellow tail passed on. 
on the couch. Oh, that was great. Christmas is wild, man. You missed Christmas it. Christmas is wild. Christmas is wild. Yeah, he's a party animal. Uh, <laughs> I had nice. my parents down to Philly today, and they came up to my apartment, and I have um, a graveyard of wine bottles on windowsills because I'm edgy. And, Ooh. you know, my family got concerned for me, but it's okay. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> should we talk about the pressing plant thing first before we dive yeah, into let's, sales? Yeah, let's, cool. let's do that. Let's so, do that. There's a note in the show notes, and all this stuff will be at the show notes at offtherecord.fm slash tag slash episodes. Um, and so we have we have a bunch of little things that we're throwing in together for this next little segment. And and one thing is that pressing plants are sort of, uh, you know, pushing it up a gear in 2015. Um, earlier, or eh, midway through 2014, we saw a large sort of piece that uh, United Pressing Company um, was adding a bunch of vinyl pressing machines. Um, I guess to give a little more context before we dive into it, there are primarily, I don't know, four to six um, vinyl plants that do the majority of business for the records that you purchase. Um, for example, Bad Timing Records press everything through this company called A to Z Media. I believe Run for Cover presses everything that they do through... Um, Pirates Press, uh, United Pressing is, I believe, the most popular pressing plant in the country, et cetera, et cetera. There, yeah, are, bu- United there are a bunch and more. Rainbow, I yeah, there's, are. yeah, there's another one called Rainbow, and there's one called Brooklyn Phono, and there, there are many pressing plants. But the thing is, um, vinyl has obviously, as we've talked to death about, and people have talked to you to death about, is vinyl has boomed for the past three to five years, and all these pressing plants are essentially operating on gear and on life support from the eighties and nineties of when vinyl wasn't dead and they were kept in business, but never had to sort of beef up their factories. Now um, the reason why all your vinyl gets delayed is because there's so much demand, but there's not new plants and building plants has been this great risk because um, a lot of people just don't want to say, hey, let's put five million more dollars into our company. Um, and what happens if people stop buying vinyl again tomorrow? And then it goes on another 10 or 15 years sort of in the background. And that's a big business risk. So these pressing plants have been hesitant. But you have something to say? Yeah, well, I mean, but we should also say is that every record label is so mad at how long it takes to press vinyl. And the other thing that I think is interesting when we talk about these vinyl delays that you mentioned is like something you and I have been going through is that you get a bad pressing. So for people not familiar, you get a test pressing to make sure everything came out right in the vinyl. And if you get a bad one, that could set your release back another two to four weeks. Yeah, yeah. So I guess to explain the timeline, um, the band has to record all the music and the music has to get mastered. So let's use Head North, for example. The band recorded their EP in December... It got mixed by the producer. The producer set the songs to Jesse, who mastered the album or the EP. We, Bad Timing, then sent or are about to send on January 5th the mastered songs to the pressing plant. The pressing plant then makes test presses. Uh, those, tests press, pre- yeah, those test presses right now are on schedule to take two weeks to complete and ship back to us. Truth be told, that's shocking. This is usually a process that takes four weeks. So two weeks is a good amount of time. Then the test presses come to my apartment or to Thomas's office. We listen to them. If everything sounds great, then we approve it. But let's just say the record pops a lot. There's a lot of noise or the track listing's off. 
Or Wait. even like there's a warped pressing like what you had uh, a little while back. Right, right. And so bad timing over time has uh, had actually really good luck with our test presses. But every once in a while, we'll get something fishy. So if something is fishy, you have to tell the pressing plant, hey, here are our notes. This is all messed up. You need to send us another test press. Then you've just wasted five weeks. So after you approve the test pressing, you say, okay. Never mind. Where we're even skipping is then if you need the band to listen to it and they're on tour trying to mail them it and then get them to find a record player to listen on. Right. Good oh. luck. Good luck. So Yeah. yeah. We the, can be talking another three weeks. Yeah. So by the time you have your test presses in hand, you also want to have your finished artwork and your vinyl variants and quantity decided. So once you give all of that information to the pressing plant, let's just say it's 500 to 1,000 records. The average turnaround time is eight to 10 weeks. So you're now looking at anywhere from 10 to 12 weeks from the full completion of the pressing. That means from sending out the masters to get test presses to receiving your vinyl. That's three full months. That's like a convenient timeline. I've never heard of a better timeline right now. A lot of a lot of pressing plants are on 14 to 18 week timelines. This is really bad stuff. Like it, mm. it's just how we operate our business. But imagine a world where I send my uh, I send my masters out and I have the full finished product, all 500 records in a month instead of three months. That would change things legitimately. Or imagine, um, you know, bad timing, put for sale, acceptance is phantoms. We sold out of it. And instead of it taking another three months for a second pressing, we could say within within the next 30 days, we'll have a 500 more start pre-ordering those now. There's all sorts of examples as to why this would be incredible for um, pressing plants to speed up their process. And good news, they are. Um, so United is, has added several new pressing plants or new machines into their pressing plants. Um, Pirates Press has made a pledge to, to make 2015 a very active year of rejuvenating and adding on machines and A to Z, the company uh, Thomas and I use for bad timing and that we've begun to use for JTree are also looking to bulk up their initiatives. So I don't know how fast this will take place, but I have a good feeling that by the start of 2016, assuming that vinyl is still selling very well, that we will actually see, you know, times, times cut down significantly going into the next new year. It's not going to happen overnight. And one of the things we should also mention, I think that's a very interesting thing, is bands before they're doing vinyl are used to this. And, you know, the pressure to be a band that releases music fast is also really on these days. And this is one of the things that really slows down that whole thing. And uh, it's a very interesting part of this is that, like, this is kind of what holds it back. It used to be, like, the big reason you waited three months as well uh, before you said stuff out was that like you wanted to get it to the print magazines and they need three months of head time. But like this becomes a big part of it too, is that these pressing delays are just insane. Yeah. It's really rough. I mean, Thomas and I have found a really great solution with A to Z. We've actually never had a singular record delay out of our, I don't know, 15 releases with them so far, Mm -hmm. but most people do not have this luck and we're just getting lucky. Like that's all it is. Um, And so I'm, honestly, I'm less interested in times being sped up across the board versus just guarantees on time. You know, like there's a big difference. Having everything cut in half for speed would be great, but also knowing you're definitely getting your records on this day at this time, blah, blah, blah. Like to make it an efficient process would be great for everyone because at this point, it's just kind of like a Hail Mary every single time for most record plans. I, I, I do agree. So, 
should we parse a little bit more of this data? That yeah, this yeah. Just- so, and I'll let Jesse get into it, but uh, Nielsen released their yearly report on 2014 sales. Oh, the day after the year ended, too. Pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these these Nielsen people, they really, uh, they're ticking it hard. So I think the most interesting thing, obviously, is while vinyl sales are up 52%, streaming is up 54 which is also a little weird to think that those two are growing at about the same speed, that Spotify, audio, and Beats can't do better outreach than vinyl. <laughs> Didn't you find that a little weird? That's an interesting way to think about it. I, I didn't think about it that way. The way I thought about it was, but I, I'm saying like I could see, for example, vinyl sales only increasing another 20% next year. However, I could see I could see streaming sales boost 50, 100, or 200%. You know? Let's talk about some of the logic, though, behind that. So I think, I think there's a really interesting thing that I never see discussed here. So there's a really interesting fact. I'm really into nutrition and eating well. So if our country keeps gaining the obesity that we're gaining now, in 2050, uh, 100% of the country will be obese. But here's the thing, is at some point you've gotten to the point where everybody who's going to be obese is going to be obese. Like, I'm never going to be obese. Like, it's just not happening. Like, I ride my bike 24 miles in a day. It's not happening. There's a point where this growth will stop. You just can't do 54% for the next years because, like, the fact of the matter is there's some people who are just not going to buy record players. They don't care about music enough. Right. Oh, so are we talking about vinyl right now? Or yeah, yeah. Okay. Or, 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 I mean, even, even streaming, it's the same thing is that there's, you know, like, so there's 328 million people in America. But there's, you know, you have to also think about that there's babies, there's grandparents, and some of them just, or just people who don't like music that are just going to at some point say, yeah, I don't care about paying $10 a month for Spotify or whoever, whatever the music streaming service is. Right. I, I fully agree. I, my thing is, and I wrote a little commentary piece for the website that will probably be live at this point. I don't really know. Um, but my, my thought process here was, I still think, you know, streaming, there's a lot to chip away. I can see in 2015, a 50-year-old mother um, signing up and paying for Beats or, you know, Spotify every month, $10 a month, right? I can see that happening. I can see a lot of people of older age get buying or subscribing more and more to streaming services as the awareness rises. However, oh, I'm sorry. And as a counter to that, I can also see more 16-year-olds subscribing to streaming services. But as if we're going to switch things to vinyl real quick, I can see more and more 16 to 30-year-olds buying vinyl. But I can't see that same 50-year-old mom who just subscribed to a new streaming service buying vinyl all over again. Yeah. So there's also another thing, too, to think about is that we are seeing a huge surge. Like, we've been in a recession for a lot of years, but we're no longer in a recession. We are now officially, our economy is doing well. Barack Obama saved us all. If you say otherwise, oh, you're welcome. God, my dad. I know. how Your poor father's going to say such bad things. But no matter what, our economy has recovered. It could get better, specifically in states like New Jersey, where we have a terrible governor. The economy is in a great, great place. There's amazing economic news over the Christmas break, and it hasn't even spread yet because we're not back from the Christmas break yet. And because people have so much extra money, they can buy vinyl, which is – to be honest, a kind of frivolous expense compared to Spotify. The fact it's that you frivolous. can own it. it's so expensive. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like the fact that fact of the matter is, you could have every song that's existed in the world almost for ten dollars a month, and you can't even buy a thing of vinyl for ten dollars. Right, you a can't month buy a single LP, <laughs> yeah. and and at that rate, you could maybe 
like there are points if you get a seven inch plus shipping where it would still be more expensive than buying streaming for one month. That is another big factor is that um, the economy has to keep going this well for this frivolous final indulgence to keep going as it's going. Um, and this is very much about that people, you know, for six years have not been used to having this much money. And now they are finding ways to do indulgences. And one of those is violent, which is great. I mean, I do the same thing. Yeah, it's my business. I have every I have every interest for it to keep, you know, upticking. I think it will keep upticking. I, you know, what's more important to me than it keep upticking is that it stays steady. You know, um, mm-hmm. I think streaming will continue to, um, First, uh, sorry, bloom and bloom and bloom until it's kind of hit its point, like its its peak. But I don't think it's gotten there yet. No, but it, its peak. I mean, let's be honest here. Its peak is is when iTunes has to say no one cares about using our service because they don't think this is a viable method of mu- music purchasing anymore. That's really right, streaming. Right, right. And I, uh, when, if, when the they, day iTunes closes. Right, and I think depending on what they do with Beats or whatever, like we could see that sooner than later, but. I still think there's a lot more growth to go in streaming, but what I care about for vinyl is that it stays steady. You know, mm-hmm. um, we are talking about the stats itself. Album sales dropped 9% and digital sales dropped 12%. Like I assume that number will continue plummeting, <laughs> um, yes. but I don't know about so dramatically, like, you know, vinyl sales did not, sorry, album sales did not drop 50% this year, like vinyl sales raised, you know? So it'll be interesting like in a year from now to see if, streaming sales double again and vinyl sales double or if digital sales plummet more like it's it'll be interesting to see how those numbers revolve around each other but i don't know vinyl you know 9.2 million records were sold this year i could see a lot more being sold next year but i don't know how many that is i think that that's the the more interesting things but to move on to another subject of you know if we can call this segment um people using statistics that need some serious explaining both bands in town and Songkick, who are two competing companies who both do the aggregation of notifying you when your favorite band is playing in town both of those companies kind of put out articles on who's the hardest working bands around i think it's funny that they also both didn't come up with the same bands even though i think some of the same bands use both services yeah like that's interesting to me because for example knuckle puck we only use bands in town we don't use song Kick. really why don't you use song tech you're missing so many people yeah we should that that's okay that okay we should. As as like, it's, on, it's that. on my it's on my list to do after the site it's on the list i didn't honestly i i never thought about doing both and i know that sounds so dumb i just was kind of yeah, like but that's everybody every manager has a blind spot to something at all times. Yeah. in fact you have dozens of them because there's too many things to do right so next week that's or the also week why after you should read this book i wrote you know it has all the blind spots so to get back to the real thing at hand i think it's a little silly how they measured these bands success <laughs> Personally, I don't know. I, I, what I have most interest, what I have interest in. So I guess it's what we find interesting. I find it really interesting to know that band X through XYZ played 200 shows or 150 shows over 10 countries. What do you find? Like, what, what do you think should be there instead? I guess is the question. Okay. Well, so one of the things they did is they said hardest working band and they judged it by how many miles they traveled. So because you toured inefficiently. And you pawn skipped potentially really badly because you had so many great opportunities. And so I should also say this. I say this and the band they chose is my favorite band in the world, the 1975. And I'm still like, okay, that's not how you measure it. Like, you know, hardest working band. I mean, 
Alan Douches, the mastering engineer, has this great thing he says when a band leaves the studio. It's when they get their record mastered and it's all done. He goes, well, now's the hard part. To some extent, yeah, the touring and promoting is the hard part, and I totally agree with that. It was why I wrote my book. But then there's another extent of is, you know, I'm really into the work smart, not hard thing. Do we really want to say just because you traveled a lot of miles and played more shows that that was the smartest way you promoted yourself and you're the hardest working band? Now, I know this is probably the only metric we can have to make some link bait that then podcasters talk about. Well, it just no, seemed no, no, no. I ridiculous. think it's a fair conversation if you're going to frame it like that, because yeah. our favorite, our second favorite band to Taylor Swift, Five Seconds of Summer. Um <laughs> So they they flew to a different destination for a different music event every um, one out of every three days in 2014. Mm. I'm not saying that's as hard or not as hard as traveling in a van all year. But can you, you as a human being, imagine one out of every three days you taking a plane, especially knowing that they're from Australia and they spent an inordinate amount of time in both America and Europe this year, last year, like and then also playing shows like, you know, you would they do a lot of flying dates or they there's just so many flights like every every three days you are taking a flight and you are then doing 10 hours of interviews or playing a show to 20,000 people, which sounds great. But you know what? I bet after flying um, 10 times in a month playing 10 arena shows is hard. So I don't know. I, I find it. <sighs> I, I, you see, you see, I think you just touched on what I see as the hard and what I've seen from the musicians I know. Um, you probably have not seen this, but uh, Radiohead put out a movie called Meeting People is Easy years ago. And it was about their time touring OK Computer, which, you know, we could arguably say is one of the most, uh, what's the word? Like, you know, eventful rock releases of the last 20 years. Yes, it's very well loved. It is incredibly well. It is in however many years it will look at, it'll be looked at as a classic record of this generation or whatever. Sure. So... What they showed is like the grueling schedule in that movie of like what you have to do to make that happen. And like to me, yeah, I mean, you know, it's kind of laughable that the hardest the, when, when we talk about the hard work is that you get to these venues and you have to sit and talk and answer the same question. That is a totally stupid question from an interviewer. 12 times a day, go to the radio station, do ID tags, do this, do that, do that. Like, that's the hard work. And that's clearly what, like, 1975 is doing compared to, like, you know, when you're a band in our scene, you're there's not as much of that demand if you're not making college rock to, like, have to go by every radio station and do these type of things and, like, have every local paper um, talk to you. But, like, it is a, you know, I think that's what really wears musicians down is the most of the musicians are like creative type of people and they say they want to be creating. Really, they probably want to be playing their um, video game system. But like, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it seems weird to call it hardest working to me. Yeah, Even I, I, I don't think it's draining. I don't like flying. Right. I don't think it should be called hardest working. I think it should be. And if that's where like we're all taking issues, like we're just all petty because what it should really be called is what the category should be. There should not be who worked hardest. It should be, um, you know, most shows played, most cities played, most miles, like it does. But there shouldn't be sort of a title. I just feel like, you know, was it harder for Five Seconds of Summer to go on 100 flights this year? Or was it harder for Against Me to play 180 shows while Laura Jane Grace also filmed a TV series and also 
you know, continually had to go through what I imagine are residual treatments or just the general wear and tear of uh, the way society could look at a trans individual. Like, you know, there's no like best way to measure that. That's not a real metric. It's it's an opinion. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, I find all that data so fascinating. Like, I love no, it. No, and I, I love this type of data. And like, it's really cool. And it's also even just interesting to see that somebody pointed out in the comments that it's like, you know, so like we're talking about like 1975 playing 180 shows this year. But like, you know, I've known bands. So that's a show every other day about. I've definitely seen bands that have played like, you know, a show every single day for nine months. Like, Kind of those smaller bands that stay stay on tour in their van and just call up and find a place to play every couple of days. Obviously, those bands usually aren't measured in the way that 1975 is, but like it is an interesting thing of seeing like what it is that goes into like if you're going to be a band who buzzes as big as the 1975 that you really have to like. If you don't like touring, this is what it, this is what your life looks like is that every other night you're going to be playing a show. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot. I'm just looking at my friend Jake from Modern Baseball. He just posted, he posted his like tour stats for the year, like how many, what he did in 2014. This is mm-hmm. Modern Baseball. They spent 180 days on the road. Not all those days were shows, there were off days mm-hmm. in there, but the band was on the road for shows 180 days this year. So that's about six months. Right. That's hard work. You know why? Because that band also did a quarter of school, they did one quarter at school at Drexel. And uh, he also worked on seven records producing them. So, you know, wow. that that's that's a hard year for a 21 to 22-year-old. Yes, that's when you maybe have the most energy. But, like, that, this was Modern Baseball's first real year of touring. And they did – they spent the full six months of it on the road. That's a damn hard job, you know. It's, it's all just relative, but it's safe to say that anyone on that list kind of worked the hardest, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, maybe I'm nitpicking a little, but I just – I found that I I think what some of this uh, whole thing is, is, you know, when you look at this data, it's always got to be parsed in some weird ways to like really see what it's is there. And it's the same thing. um, Another thing that we had to discuss was this um, article that's floating around the Internet about how Diplo Diplo and Skrillex didn't sell out Madison Square Garden, yet everybody's talking about this big EDM boom. And then now people are like, oh, the EDM boom's over. But I think there was like a big thing missing from this discussion. So like part of this article talks about how Fish would sell out Madison Square Garden in 10 minutes. But yet Diplo and Skrillex couldn't do it. So there's a big thing that Diplo and Skrillex, we might want to say, are uh, getting over the hill in their career. And some of people would say Fish were too, but Fish didn't play for decades. Or maybe like 15 or years. Or they only or play at those four shows per year. Skrillex and Diplo do more dates than anybody. And the other thing is they're not putting out music that's as well-received as it used to. People didn't love the record Skrillex put out. They have a collaborative project called Jack U. And as somebody who likes I didn't get Skrillex why it was Diplo, called that. I didn't know that until I read this article. I was like, what does that name mean? Yeah, so they have a collaborative thing, and they do, like, remixes of Beyonce 7-Eleven and stuff. And I just, you know, I don't know anyone, and, you know, maybe it's just who I know, but I don't know anyone who likes it. Um, And I'm somebody who really likes Skrillex and really likes a lot of Diplo's work, and it's just not doing it for me. So judging that, and then I think there's, like, other external factors. It's like there's so many dance events on New Year's Eve in New York. And then you say to people, hey, you want to go right next to Times Square on New Year's Eve and pay a lot of money to stand in a place that has tons of seats, or you could just go and dance at a club with an underground DJ who's going to play very similar music, and you'll be able to move around, dance, and drink way easier. 
a lot of people are going to take that option. Totally. I mean, so if you don't think like EDM is dead, then what do you think is the next, the next upbringing there? Like the next, what is the next Skrillex? Is, you is there one? Well, uh, yeah. I, I mean, what I will say is this, is that it's just going to keep being different forms of EDM. Just as when rock eclipsed jazz and it went from like Elvis to a Beatles to a psychedelic thing to like a more metal thing and all these other genres that could coexist all at once. We're just going to keep seeing different flavors of EDM changing. EDM, if anything, throughout its life, as somebody who's been very into it for 20 years now, it's all, it changes faster. Like the punk trends last so long compared to how fast EDM trends last like EDM trends don't even barely have an eighteen month to two year life. That's interesting. Do you like that? Like as a fan, like as a fan? No, I mean, I'll be honest with you. One of my biggest problems right now is one of the reasons. Like I always joke that I listen to really obscure dance music. Is I used to listen to a lot of the popular stuff, but the stuff that I like is very out of fashion right now. So like the stuff I listen to, which is also great for me, and it's kind of like even the same thing of like you know. Here's a great example: is if you want to see bands doing like the pop punk defend pop punk scene thing now you have to go to a larger venue because it's gotten way more popular and way more people are into it what i'm loving about the stuff that i'm into right now is i can go to a 200 seat venue and see some of my favorite artists walk in not get advanced tickets just go that night and the place is half packed but it rarely gets beyond that right yeah but so here's a great example though is like a lot of my favorite stuff this year just got put on everybody's top 10 list. The labels I like are, are like the best labels of the year on like noisy and stuff like that. So next year, this stuff's all going to get bigger. And then I'm going to have to start going to Webster Hall instead of going to the tiny little venue by my apartment in Williamsburg to see them. And that's how it goes. And I, I don't begrudge that, but that trend is the same in EDM as it is in just as like haircut bands were way bigger. And now it's hard for haircut bands to get popular in punk. Talking about Webster Hall, I saw Patty Smith at Webster Hall, Jesse. I, I saw that, and you said you were the youngest person there. I, I, there were, I think there were two younger girls, but they were there with a parent. That is something. I, that's pretty punk of me, right? That that is pretty punk of you. I've definitely never seen Patty Smith. I have a lot of friends. It who was incredibly. In the oh wow, it was really cool. Like I really enjoyed the experience. I went with my friend Emily, and it was it was great. Like what was really cool, I didn't know she was sixty eight. Like she mm -hmm. killed it. <laughs> like oh yeah, yeah she's a great performer. like she Always is a better been. performer and has more energy at 68 than many people i know are that in their 20s you know like it was it was a thing and it was very cool for me and i said this <clears throat> i said this to emily and like she rolled her eyes at me but i was like it's really cool to see how many old people are at this show and i meant that as a like a good thing not like a like as a making fun of thing like Obviously, the music I listen to, the oldest people I see in the rooms are maybe mid-30s, and then if there are suits there anywhere from their 40s to 50s, you know? But, like, yeah. there were people there in their 50s, their 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and that was really... I'd never experienced anything like that. It was super cool. Nice. So, the first question's a little funny. Um, so, the question asks, I've always wondered this. How did Jesse feel about the statement Richard Reyes, who was one of the two heads of drive through records made about that. He didn't trust Jesse's ability to produce a full length. Was there some sort of problem with Jesse and Richard IDK? AKA, I don't know. Um, so I thought this was a very funny question. I don't know necessarily. They put out a statement. I imagine this was a Facebook comment when I asked one of my friends about it, if, they had ever seen this statement. Richard and I had a lot of problems, and I'm happy to say this, is that, yeah, uh, I really did not like the way Richard and Stephanie conducted business. I thought their contracts were unfair, and I used to read when 
my friends' bands who I do demos with then would sign to drive through, which happened quite a bit. I would read them what their contract actually means because I grew up reading contracts because I'm a nerd. And they would get very mad that the bands do their contracts. Now, it was a very also common thing for Richard and Steffi. They wouldn't want bands to have managers. And they didn't like to deal with adults. And I sadly was an adult in this situation, even if I was a lot younger. And while Richard could have said that, and, you know, that opinion is totally valid. No one has to hire a producer and you can feel like it. But he also had plenty of other producers who did not have my record sales track record. So saying that to me, and I remember hearing him say something like this, is like, what, what mark are you using to judge this? Because I produce records on a consistent basis that sell more than a lot of the other producers you use. I thought it was a little silly. And also personally, him and I always had problems and all, there was always a complete lack of respect for one another on both sides. Well, uh, always, always good to have a little drama in an episode. Yeah, just just a little bit. And then the last question is, is uh, when I get tired of producing, will I open a donut shop? And what bands will I name the donuts after? So this is a jab at, um, or maybe not a jab, but a reference to Mark Trombino, who you might know from producing Jimmy Eat World's Bleed American and Finch, What It Is the Bird, and mixing the last Wonder Years record. Um, seems to be pretty retired from producing now, and he has a chain of donut shops. No, it's just donut one. Reference. I think it's just one. Uh, but... I, well, if it's just one, I know he's opening oh, up soon. awesome. Mark's a great guy. I've known him for a long time, and we have a lot of mutual friends, but... Uh, that's not the route I'm going. I'm, I will do some other things. And there will be some point when I don't produce records because I do not strive to be 65 telling 18-year-olds to tune their guitars. Okay, but, like, you still avoided the question. You have a mythical donut shop. What bands, what bands are you making donuts? Oh, man. I mean, I think he actually did a pretty good job of, he like, killed it. some of these. He killed uh, it. I mean, like, let's, let's be honest here. Like, I, I don't want to mess with the master. No. It's the, kind of the same thing as, like, Bleed American. I think Bleed American is one of the best rock mixes of all time, and I don't want to mess with I mean, the master there. Jimmy Eat Swirl. Guy's a genius. Like, Yeah, I mean, he's got puns of steel. He's got... Okay, this is over. <laughs> Do you have any recommendations this week? I don't know that I took much in that was that great. I've been being a real nerd. All right, I, I got two. Okay. So, uh, like I st- stated at the top of the show, I watched Black Mirror. I really enjoyed it. There are seven episodes, including a holiday Christmas episode that just came out with John Hamm that I thought was incredible. Yeah, that, that episode's the best it's, one. It's a really dark show. It's British, but it's not like British, if you feel me. I really, yeah, it's not always British actors, and it's not. Right. I mean, I it was really enjoyable and, and frankly, fucked up in a good way. Um, I finally got around to watching Boyhood. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was incredible. Uh, it's a really long movie, and I still suggest you go for it. And I also I, I, I recommended that on an old yeah, podcast I know. too. I'm just going through your recs, Jesse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also started Archer because uh, I'm I, I've been out of TV since everything's on break. Um, and I watched. I mean, there were 21 episode comedy shows, and I, I'm really loving it though. It's just it's not mindless for me to watch, but I just, it's just like it's not serious. And I like it. So, yeah, those are my three things. You don't need to recommend um, anything. You, 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 I, 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 I won't recommend, but I'll say I saw Mozart in the Jungle. Yeah, what is that? It's good. It's a very interesting comment on a thing that's very dear to my heart. We're going to be talking a lot about this year, which is 
how do music and uh, music dash art and money play with each other? And there is some great, great comments on it in that, but it's just not thrilling TV. And the acting performances are great, and I have the biggest crush on the girl in it, but I watched the whole entire season in a day because I was tired, and it just wasn't that great. Mm, okay. But at the same time, if you want to do some good thinking about what's called the socialism of music and money, there's some really interesting thoughts about how wrong it is that the way we make musicians make their living. That's very near and dear to my heart right now. You know what you should do? What's that? You should save the music industry. Thank you to F- Off The Record this week at the offtherecord.fm to check out some